Well, good morning, church. I hope everyone is doing well today. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Caleb Powers. Um, I'm a student here at Stephen F. Austin State University, and uh, this fall I will be going into my senior year uh, studying any interpersonal communications. I've also had the pleasure of serving here at First Baptist Church for the last two and a half years as a college ministry intern. And during this time of, of being an intern, I felt that the Lord has placed an aspiration on my heart to, to one day go into vocational ministry. Well, I'm not sure exactly how that looks yet. I know that I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be able to stand before you today and share what God has placed on my heart. So with that being said, I'm going to start this sermon at the end by reading the last verse of today's passage. If you would, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 7, 2 through 10. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 states, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. So in this verse, we see that there are two different types of grief that Paul refers to. He refers to godly grief and to worldly grief. And to illustrate this point, I want to share with you a story from my childhood. So when I was in junior high, there was one day that I had friends over, we were all having a really good time. We were playing video games together. And in the middle of this, my dad came into the living room and told me to go out and, and feed and water our dog. But we were having a really, really good time in that moment. We were right in the middle of a game. And so I just lied to him and told him, oh, I already did that. Like, I, I, I'm going to continue to play. I already did that. And uh, he didn't really seem convinced, but he responded with, like, okay. And so that was enough for me to continue playing. And uh, about 10 minutes later, he walks back into the room with a very angry face. And uh, my immediate thought was like, uh-oh, like he knows, <laughs> he knows I was lying. And uh, he then made me get off the game and he grounded me for a week. And I was so upset, not because I made the mistake, but because my mistake led to me having consequences. I was so angry with the fact that I was gonna miss out on a good time with my friends. And as I'm sure you could guess, this response was not due to godly grief, but rather worldly grief. I missed out on something of the world due to my sin. This sin brought me inconvenience and it made me really angry that I had to face the consequence. And isn't this sometimes our response to our sin today? Whether those consequences are, are physical ones or maybe just somebody calling you out for sin, I know sometimes my response to sin is that I, I try to protect myself. Um, I try to justify what I did, or I try to convince myself that what I did did not deserve the natural consequence of my sin. This is what worldly grief is, and all it leads to is deeper pain and many times more sin. It never leads to anywhere that is life-giving. So how do we have a different type of grief that leads to life rather than death? Well, we must... We must experience grief that produces repentance. What if I told you that repentance could, could alter many areas of your life? What if the outcome of repentance could change your life? So with that being said, if you would turn with me to 2 Corinthians 7, 2 through 10, um, and just to help us all stay on the same page, as I'm reading through the passage, I'm going to be stopping every few verses to break down what we had just read. So with that, let us dive into scripture together, starting in verse two. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, taken advantage of no one. 
I don't say this to condemn you, since I have already said that you are in our hearts, to die together and to live together. I am very frank with you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with encouragement. I am overflowing with joy in all of our afflictions. So let's pause right there. Paul tells the people that they are in his heart. He is deciding to choose to love these people. And he's also saying that he can speak boldly and confidently to these people. He can speak confidently because of the evidence of their walk in faith. And as a result of this evidence of their walk in faith, Paul has great pride in the Corinthians. His great pride in the Corinthians leads him to feeling much encouragement and him being overflowed with joy in the shared afflictions that he has with them. These people are in Paul's heart, and he has continually tried to love on these people. Now for him to see the fruit of his work brings him much joy. We're going to pick back up in verse 5. In fact, when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. And not only by his arrival, but also the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoice even more. Let's pause again. Paul is not only comforted through the means of Titus' arrival, but also the news that Titus brought with him. Titus brought the news that the Corinthians' hearts have changed for Paul and for Paul's ministry. If you look in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, Paul states that the Corinthians withheld their affection for him. And here, back in uh, chapter 7 of verse 7, the Corinthians have turned from not having affection for Paul, and instead they now have a deep longing and a zeal for him. Their hearts for Paul went from rejecting him to an eagerness to be with him. Let's pick back up in verse 8. For even if I grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it. And if I regretted it, since I saw that the letter grieved you, yet only for a while, I now rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. So we see that, that Paul here, he does not regret grieving the Corinthians because of the letter that he sent them. Even though they were grieved, Paul rejoices, not because they, they felt sorrow, but because their sorrow led to their repentance. This sorrow that they felt was God-willed. And if their grief was God-willed, we can infer that it was from the Lord. The grief that the Corinthians that led the Corinthians to repentance came from the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to pick it back up in, in verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. So here we are. The verse I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon. Paul refers to two different types of grief within this verse. We see godly grief mentioned first. Godly is something that is of God, and it comes from God. This grief that comes from God produces a repentance that leads to salvation. This type of grief produces life. And in in contrast to godly grief, we see that Paul mentions worldly grief. Worldly is something that is of and from the world. This produces and leads to death. 
This death is, is more likely referring to a spiritual death than a, than a physical one. And we know that in spiritual death, that, that, that's sin. And so we can, we can see that this worldly grief leads to, to more sin. And so as we've read through the scripture, and we've broken it down a little bit, let's look at some of the truths that we find here within the passage. Let's answer the question, what is the outcome of repentance? So the first point, repentance produces rejoicing. So in this passage and throughout scripture, we see that there are three different groups of people who rejoice because of repentance. The first group that we see is here in 2 Corinthians 7, and that group is the Christians that are in our lives, the people who are pouring into us, discipling us, our our community, our church, family. Um, Let's look back at verse 9. I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. So the Corinthians' repentance produced joy in Paul. It says that he rejoiced because of their repentance. Paul loved these people so much, and he confronted their sin through the love that he had for them. So whenever he witnessed the repentance of the Corinthians, this caused him to rejoice. I know in my own life, whenever I see people who I love repent, it is the best feeling in the world. It's so incredible to see them turn away from sin and turn to the Lord. Um, and I know that, in, and also that when people minister to me and I repent, repent, it brings them joy. Whether it's, me, it's when they call me out for sin in my life or maybe something I might have been hiding and I bring to the surface and share with them, because I confess and I repent, it brings them joy. So we see that the Christians in our life rejoice because of our repentance. The next group of people we see rejoicing is the ones who have repented. I'm going to turn to uh, Psalm 51, 7 and 8, starting in verse 7. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. So in this passage, we see the rejoicing of the one who turns from their sin. David here is asking the Lord to cleanse him and to restore him. He is displaying what it means to repent. And and through that, we see that this joy came through the grief that has been placed on his heart because of his sin. And the final group of people that that rejoice because of repentance is the entire kingdom of heaven. I'm going to turn to Luke 15, 7. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. The entire kingdom of heaven rejoices because of repentance. When something brings joy to someone, that typically means they they really, really value it. And so, For the entire kingdom of heaven to rejoice because of repentance, that should tell us something. That should tell us that God values our repentance. He he loves whenever his children draw near to him, repent of their sins, turn away from it, and come to him. Um, So repentance produces rejoicing. And this leads us to our next point. Repentance grows our zeal for the kingdom. Let's look back at 2 Corinthians 7, 7. 
And not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Here we see that the Corinthians had a zeal for Paul. But what does it mean that they had a zeal for Paul? If you look in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, and 21, we see that Paul writes, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Paul was saying that he was an ambassador for Christ, and God was making his appeal through Paul and the ministry that he was doing. The Corinthians saw the work that Paul had done in their lives from a distance, and they understood that that Paul was called by God and that God was working through Paul. As a result of knowing this, they had a zeal to be with Paul, and they were zealous for his ministry. They were in sin, and Paul called them out. That they repented of this sin and realized they were a product of the work that God was doing through Paul and the ministry Paul was doing. So the Corinthians were zealous for the work of God that was being done through Paul. They had a zeal for the kingdom work that was being done. The Corinthians' repentance led them to having a zeal for the kingdom. Our third point. Repentance restores relationships. To understand how this scripture speaks into the restoration of relationships, we need to first look at 2 Corinthians 6, 11-13. We have spoken openly to you, Corinthians. Our heart has been opened wide. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. I speak as to my children as a proper response. Open your heart to us. So we see here that the Corinthians withheld affection from Paul. As he continued to love them with an open heart, they rejected Paul. Now let's look, let's look back again at 2 Corinthians 7.7. 7. And not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you, he told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So after withholding affection from Paul, the Corinthians repented. This repentance created a deep longing for Paul. They, they had this deep longing in their hearts for him and for what he was doing. Through Paul, though Paul never stopped loving the Corinthians, we see that their repentance restored the prior relationship that they had with Paul. They repented from their sin and again found affection and a deep longing for Paul to be with them. So repentance restores relationships. So we have talked about the outcome of repentance and how it produces many great things. We can all agree that the outcome of repentance is desirable. Who doesn't want joy? Who doesn't want to be zealous for something great? Who doesn't want restoration and broken relationships? This is the fruit of repentance. But this leads us to a more important question. What does it look like for us to experience godly sorrow that leads us to repentance? And to, to explain this, to illustrate it, I want to, to share another story with you. Another story from my childhood. So in high school, I was playing in a football game. And during the game, a teammate of mine, he gave me ibuprofen on the sideline for a headache that I had. And uh, my dad, being a concerning father, um, at, he saw from afar off that I was handed something. So after the game, he approached me, and he asked what was handed to me, and if I had put it in my mouth and, and taken it. 
And out of the fear in my heart, though I know that like that wasn't wrong for doing it, I chose to lie to my dad. Again, and um, long story short, my dad found out that I was lying. I was again caught in another lie. But this time my response was different from the story that I told you earlier. If you remember earlier, my response was anger and grief because I missed out on the things of this world. This time, my response was a different type of grief, though. I absolutely hated what I had did. I had broken the trust of my dad. I lied to him and disrupted the relationship that I had with him. It absolutely broke my heart that I did this to my father, that I, I, I was so upset, and I, I just felt that I had betrayed him. And this really illustrates what, what godly grief is. This grief is not rooted from, from missing out on the world. It's not rooted in, in missing out on having a good time with friends. But instead, it comes from God, who shows us that our sin disrupts what he has for us. It, it shows us that our sin disrupts a relationship that we have with him. It is godly grief that leads us to repentance. For the Christian, we should embrace the conviction of the Holy Spirit As we embrace this feeling of godly grief, we should then surrender that sin to God through prayer and to seeking him. And you will see that you will have joy, have a zealousness for the kingdom, and that your relationship with God will be restored. Not that you lost your salvation or that God ever left, but your heart will change through repentance. For those who are here today who would not call themselves Christians or are not really sure I want to share with you that the Lord desires you to come to repentance. Second Peter 3.9 says that God does not want anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He desires it so much for you to come to repentance that he made a way for you to come to repentance. He sent his son Jesus to come to earth to die for, for your sin and for my sin so that we can be drawn into repentance and drawn into a restored relationship with him. <clears throat> but regardless of where you're at, we should all come to repentance. And the heart posture of the Lord to each of our repentance is the same. I did not com- completely finish the story that I just told you a second ago. I left out the biggest part of the story. This biggest part of the story is my father's response to me. As I repented for what I did, for breaking the trust that my dad had for me, for doing something that disrupted mine and his relationship. I remember us being on the road. My father pulled the truck over in the parking lot, and I had no idea what was about to happen. He got out of the truck, he came and he opened my door, and then he embraced me with the biggest hug. He told me that he loved me, and he forgave me for what I had done. And I didn't, I was just in shock. I was like, I don't deserve this at all. I deserve to be, to be punished. I deserve to, for him to not ever trust me again. I just blatantly lied to him. And, but he extended grace and love to me anyway. And if my earthly father, who is sinful and just as imperfect as you and me, can show me love, mercy, and grace through my repentance, how much more can a heavenly father who is perfect Show grace, mercy, and love to us. So if you would, bow your heads with me as we continue in worship. Father, um, God, just want to just 
just thank you for this time that we get to gather this morning and just worship you. Um, God, I pray that, that we take um, this word, God, and we apply it to our hearts. Lord, that we would always be, be drawn into repentance. Lord, we know that your spirit draws us to it. And I pray that we avoid worldly grief, God, and just embrace the loving conviction of the Holy Spirit. Father God, I ask you all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.